Praise God. Well, so good to gather uh, together in the name of our great God and our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I got a uh, uh, text from uh, Jeff Straub this afternoon, uh, which said the words, uh, what did he say? He said, is there really no Superman? He says, says you, and he had a picture with a big Superman T-shirt on uh, today. And so anyways, it was very comical. I always tease the, uh, uh, the uh, children that I'm, I'm actually a superhero. You know, I can put kids to sleep. I can put little boys to sleep with just one sermon. So anyways, uh, they challenge me sometimes, but sometimes they're able to overcome my superpowers. But a lot of times they, uh, they seem to fall asleep. But uh, so thankful, again, that we get to gather together. So thankful. I, you know, when you look at the Gospel of John, there's some chapters that you look forward to preaching through. And I would say uh, John chapter 14 is one of those chapters. It's such a great chapter. It's a, cha- a chapter of comfort. It's a chapter against of uh, consolation. It's a chapter, again, of great hope. You know, and I love this chapter because we realize Jesus has been talking about going away, going away, going away. And he starts off this chapter by saying this, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the idea here is don't be overcome with anxiety. Don't be overcome with worry. And the reason why is you have to know why I'm going away. I'm going away to prepare a place so that where I am, you may be absolutely for all of eternity. You know, and it's absolutely a great truth that he puts forward. And I, I don't know how much I've had the privilege of going into the rooms of people who are just about to expire from this life, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the passage I always read to them, happens to be John chapter 14. You know, these great truths that happen to begin right here, these great truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's amazing to look at because when you look at these truths, you have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're not just given for people that haven't begun on their deathbed, but they're given for us as believers. I mean, think of the disciples. They would go through all of the hardship, all of the trials that happened to begin in their life. But they had these truths that this Jesus has an origin to destiny plan, and he can be banked on. He can be counted. Now, when you look at these truths, when we read through them, when we study through them, and we've studied the opening three verses, the meaning of them happens to be absolutely so apparent, doesn't it? I mean, it's right there on the surface, but the amazing thing for this first audience, for these 11 men that are gathered before the Lord Jesus, that message is not apparent. You know, that message seems to go over them. We recognize that he's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about, again, his ascension into heaven. He's talking about preparing a place in that heaven for us. We realize he's coming back for us. And we realize all the implications that happen to be again of this text. But as we look at it, it escaped the disciples. And the reason why we know that is because of four questions they asked. They asked four questions because of qu- uh, queries. They asked for four questions of clarification by four uh, different disciples. And the first one happens to be back in chapter number 13, and it's said by Peter. And he says, Lord, where are you going? Right? I've got to go away. I've got to go away. Well, Lord, where are you going? And then we have a second uh, question in our text today, which happens to be again in verse number five by Thomas. How can we know the way? How can we know this access? How can we know where you're going? And the third one is right after that in verse number eight. It's by Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, and this really is a question. It's not a statement. Lord, can you show us the Father? We think, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you show us the Father, this is going to suffice. 
You know, and we have that question. And then the last question is said by Judas, who's not Iscariot. Remember, he's already left. He's already gone to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And the meaning of Jesus' words escapes them. You know, they're not plain. They're not easy for them to understand. And they have a real struggle with this idea of expectation of what is going to take place. You know, and so Jesus follows the opening three verses with, which, which, with uh, basically a statement. He says, in verse number four, he says, And you know, you know the way to where I am going. And let me ask you tonight. Where was Jesus going? Jesus was going where? You know, what's this passage talking about? It's talking about Jesus is ultimately going where? He's going back to his father. He's going to heaven. I mean, the meaning is so apparent that happens to be in the text. But right after he says that comes that question from Thomas, right? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And there's two parts there, right? It's first, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And it's not this. It's not that it's really difficult for them to discern when he says, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be again also. That he's preparing this place in heaven. He's preparing again their arrival, that they might forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That part's not difficult. The part that's hard for them to, uh, to uh, really, um, uh, really comprehend, it's so different than what they thought. You know, they thought Messiah was going to come. They thought Messiah was going to overcome all the powers that happened to be, maybe even the religious leaders as they saw the hypocrisy that happened to be again in them, but at least the Romans. You know, and there was going to be a kingdom right here and right now. You know, and that's what they thought. You know, and so they have this... This, this idea, you know, and they really don't know how to get over it. And the question, again, is asked right after that. You know, how can we know the way? And it's a great question, isn't it? Because it's a question that gets right at the heart of our faith. You know, if Jesus is going away, if he's going into heaven, here's the question. How can we know the way? Right? If all of a sudden I said, I am going down to the riverfront and I'm going to be again maybe at Dia Park, and you say, okay, I'll meet you there. But where is Dia Park? And why do you need to know that? Because if you're going to meet me, guess what? You need to know the way. You need to know the route. You know, and so it's a great question to ask. You know, if Jesus is going into this glory, if he's going back to his father's house, if he's going to prepare a place that we might be with him also, how, how can we get there? How can we traverse again that, uh, that boundary that exists between us and God? And what comes in verse number six is one of the most familiar verses in all of Christendom. If you happen to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you probably don't even need to look at verse number six and know what it says. You know, it's easy to memorize, it's easy to know, and it's easy to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that what Jesus is teaching in this passage of Scripture is the absolute exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, right? It's only through Him. And let me tell you, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we prize that doctrine 
But those that happen to begin outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is one of the most hated verses. And the reason why it's one of the most hated verses is because it speaks of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you teach on this verse, if you preach on this verse, if you witness and say, yeah, 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 I know what you're thinking. Yeah, 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 I know, I know what you believe. Yeah, I know what you put your trust in. But let me tell you what Jesus Christ said. You're going to be looked on upon as narrow-minded. You're going to be looked upon as bigoted. You're going to be looked upon as a know-it-all. You're going to be looked upon as a moralist. You know, you're going to be looked upon on all these things. And the thing that you have to realize, it's not that we're living offensive lives. Many times believers are not living offensive lives. But the offense here is in the claim of Jesus Christ. And that is that salvation is through him. Access into the Father's presence is through him and through him alone. And let me tell you, if you preach this exclusive gospel... There is always going to be opposition. If you look back through the last 2,000 years of preaching, you will always see that opposition to the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always find this amazing because we live in a very inclusive society. And what we mean by an inclusive society is, is we, we accept any, what any, any, anybody believes, especially about eternal matters. And it's amazing to look at our society because our society will even accept people who have exclusive thoughts of how to get to heaven, except one. And that happens to be, again, in Christianity. And in the name of inclusivity, in the name, again, of toleration, people are intolerant of Christianity and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. But the amazing thing about this, and I hope you get this, You know, the reason why we can have such joy in Christianity, the reason why we can have such assurance of our salvation is the truth that's contained here in in these words of Jesus here from uh, John chapter 14, verse number 6. And they should create such a joy, such a love, such a fervency to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing everything that happened to begin in our life, everything of eternal importance, has already been settled by Jesus Christ. It's an amazing truth. It really is. And so what I want us to do is take a couple Sundays and go through John chapter 14 and verse number 6 because it's so important. You know, and I love to, again, to start that. And I hope, again, to really give you a greater fervency of your assurance of salvation, a greater security to everything that has been done in Christ. You know, and I think the more that we see this, the more we, we come to love him. But let's just read verse number six together to get a real, again, flavor of that. And like I said, many of you can probably say this uh, right, uh, right from memory. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, one of the things our society hates is the big questions, and I don't know why. You know, the big questions of life. You know, what are some of the big questions? Here's a big question. Why am I here? Why is there a Kevin Scott? Why is there a you? What's the whole purpose of our lives? You know, how about, how about this big one? You know, what happens after death? You know, I think there's, there's in every single person a belief, you know, as, as we think of our thoughts, as we think of the patterns of our thinking, as we think of our th- thinking, as we think of our inner person that happens to be in us, you know, what happens after death? You know, where do I go? And it's incredible because you think, because as I looked over the last 150, as I look 150 years in the past, 
You know, everyone who, who ever lived 150 years ago, didn't matter if they were a baby, didn't matter if they were a young person, didn't matter if they were an old man, all of them died. Death takes everyone, and I know that's really deep, isn't it? Death takes everyone. But if death takes everyone, you think that we would be concerned. What lies on the other side? You know, how do I come into the presence of this holy God? But most people just shrug it off. They're fairly good people, even if they haven't lived a good life. You know, the reason why they haven't lived a good life is maybe because of the environment that happened to be getting around them. But they're basically a good person. You know, if they, they have these sinful patterns, these evil and wicked patterns, well, it's just in their DNA. It's just in the structure that they're made. They're not to blame for it. So if there is a God that happened to be in heaven, if there is a heaven that happens to be again up there, then he will let me into his heaven because I'm basically good. But here's the question they never ask. What if you're wrong about that which lasts for all of eternity? You know, and this is, and this is where it comes. Because Jesus Christ is saying whatever view that you have outside of him is absolutely wrong. Because he says right here in verse number 6, at the beginning of the verse, he says, I am the way. And remember the context. The context is a question, isn't it? And the question is basically this. How do, I, how do we come into your presence? We don't know where you're going. How do we come to where you are going? And he says this. He doesn't map out a route. He says this. I am the way. I am that access point. And I love that answer for a couple of reasons. One is, when you look at how he structures it, he first of all says, I am. And when you look at that, this is the six of seven statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus declares himself to be none other than God himself. I am that I am. Not I was, or I will be, or I Hope to be, but I am the eternal God. I am he. I am the self-existent one. I'm the one who always has been and always will be. That's who I am. And one of the things I love about these statements that I have to begin in John is there's always modifiers on them, right? And these modifiers explain that they're a revelation of who God is. They're a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. So, uh, before the Feast of Tabernacles, over in John chapter 8, and verse number 12, he says, I am the light of the world, right? I am. I'm God. And who am I? I am the light. So, have you ever wondered what the invisible God looks like? And here's the greatest light. Here's the great, great, greatest manifestation. Here's God made visible. Here's a beaming light of who he is. And how we can have a relationship with him is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, you know, in all of these I am statements that, that, are, that are made, that, there is, that there's modifiers and there's an explanation, there's a revelation of something of who God is. Now think of the question again. Because how does one come into the presence of God? If Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, this place is of no value unless I know how to get there. Right? So, so what do we do? Is there some sort of moral code that I have to live up to? Is there something that I, some place I have to go, maybe on some exodus or whatever? You know, do I have to be martyred for the faith? What do I have to do in order to get uh, to this place where Jesus Christ is? And Jesus says basically this, there's nothing you do. Jesus says, 
I am, here it is, here's, here's a modifier, the way. Right? And he doesn't say this, I am a way. Or I am one of many ways. I can remember I was talking to this older gentleman, and we started talking about religious things, and I told him I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I told him, again, basically what salvation was, and I said, you know, Jesus Christ said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the presence except through, the, through him, into the presence of the Father except through him. And he said, and he, and it was in Nova Scotia, and I can remember it because there was a little town um, a little while, uh, while away, and he asked me, how do you get to that town? And I, and I told him, you know, you take this route, you take this road, and you come to this town. He said, well, you can also go this route. It's a little longer. And he said, again, if you go south, you can go this way. And if you're coming again from uh, the west, you can come in this way. And he says, look at that. Look at how many roads lead to the same destination. And he said, you know what? It's the same in heaven. I'm just on a different road than you are, Kevin. You know, and that would be fine and dandy if Jesus says, I am a way. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I am the way, the exclusive way to come into the presence of, of God. In fact, if you look at all the roads that happen to begin out there, there's only two roads, right? There's only two paths. One is this great, big, large, you know, grand, broad road, right? And there's many that happen to be on it, and they can believe whatever they want. And the reason why they can believe whatever they want is because that road leads to destruction. And then there's a narrow path. There's a narrow road, and there's few that happen to begin on it. But this road, this path is really not a road, really not a path. It is a person. It's Jesus Christ, and that's why it's so offensive. Think of why it's so offensive. Because it says to me in you that my life is so dirty, so unholy, so sinful that I could never come into the presence of God no matter how I live, no matter what I've done, will do in my life. You know, that my only hope is that somebody would come that would live a life different than my than mine, and die the death, taking the punishment that I deserve for all of eternity. And that's the promise of Jesus, isn't it? Ease it away. Even Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse number 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and how? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the way. And let me just say this as believers. We sung about this tonight. We sing about this truth all the time. We preach about this truth. We're overwhelmed with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because think about it. Think about how, <laughs> how, how awful it would be for Jesus to be preparing a place and there was no access to get to that place. There was no way. There was no route. There was no avenue that we could come into the presence of this holy God and enjoy Jesus Christ evermore. Even after he says, I'm going away to prepare a place. I mean, those wouldn't be great, great words. Those would be, again, irritating words, but there is a way. You know, and think about it, because we realize that we're the ones who do not deserve this. And I think a lot of times we do a lot of complaining, we do a lot of grumbling, and that complaining and grumbling is against God. 
But I think believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be the most celebratory, most thankful people in all of the world. I mean, look at the salvation we have. Look at what God has done for miserable sinners such as us. And I wonder, are we celebrating in this truth? Again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And something I have to warn and warn about this passage. You know, something I have to warn about this verse is basically this. Never lose the context of this verse. Right? And what's the context? The context is Jesus has been talking about heaven. He's been talking about preparing this place in the Father's home for them, that they might be with him eternally. And a reason why I say that is basically two. And it's taken from this passage of Scripture. And it's basically this. There's a modern teaching that happens to begin out there that quotes this verse all, all the time and says this. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the way. If you ever need grace, if you ever need help, if you ever need guidance that happen to begin in your life, come to Jesus and he'll show you the way. He happens to be the way. And at one extent, that sounds very biblical in itself until you start listening a little further. And what they mean by that statement is any difficulties, any problems that you have in your life, just trust the way. He will give what is necessary in your life. So if you don't have the marriage that you want, you really want this ideal marriage, you really want this, this, uh, this marriage of mutual understanding, of mutual love, just trust the way in Jesus Christ. And he'll give what is absolutely necessary to have that marriage that you that that you want, you know, problem-free, struggle-free. Free. If you haven't had physical conditions, you know, well, just trust the way. You know, if your body is breaking down, if you've got arthritis, you know, if you can't see, if there's various different difficulties, if you have cancers or whatever disease that are ravaging your body, trust the way and it will be done. If you have financial difficulties, trust the way in Jesus Christ. And you know what the context here? The context here is not Jesus Christ saying, and Jesus said to him, I'm the way, trust me for all of your temporal needs. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying right here is, trust me. Trust me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if you trust me as the way, then you'll come into my heaven. You'll be with me eternally. And that's the promise, isn't it? The promise, again, is of life eternal. It's not the promise that I can have a carefree life. I can have anything that I want in this life. I just have to trust Jesus enough. I don't know how many people have been brokenhearted. People who have trusted Jesus really thought he was going to do certain things that happened to begin in his life because this scripture has been ripped out of context. Jesus is the way. You just have to trust him for these things that you want in your life. That's not what he's promising. He's promising something so much more necessary, so much more glorious. And that's life in him. The other reason why we have to realize the context of this is much again of what we talked about again last time we're together. I mean, because think of the context that happens begin right here. Why is Thomas asking this question? And the reason why he's asking this question question is he's so distraught that Jesus is going away he wants to be with Jesus Christ and why is that so important because people many times look at heaven and they imagine heaven without Jesus you know we get so involved in what's the architecture even as we said last time together what's the throne look like what what do angels look like but I think the biggest misnomer that happens to be again out there from 
from believers in the Lord Jesus as they're looking forward to their ultimate destination is they view it many times as basically a family reunion. Isn't it true? I'm going to see my faithful mom and dad who serve the Lord. I'm going to see my grandma, you know, who told me those Bible stories. I'm going to see granddad, you know, who read the Bible in the pulpit. I'm going to see those faithful relatives that always serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a great banquet and it's going to be wonderful. And the problem with that kind of view is where is Christ? Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, right? And then he provides the way. The way is through his sacrificial life. But what is the prize of heaven? The prize of heaven is not heaven in and of itself. It's a person. It's Jesus. And he provides that way, that access into his presence. It's an amazing truth. You know, never lose sight again of that and that glory. But Jesus is not only the way, but he's also the truth. And again, you can see this in this verse, right? Because he goes on with these I am statements. I'm going to begin right here. He says, I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. You know, when you look at truth, and we are people who love the truth, right? And where do we find the truth? It would be very easy to say we find the truth where? Where? In the, begins with a B. In the Bible. Thank, thank you back there, brother. Praise the Lord. Uh, we find it in the Bible, don't we? We find it again in the scriptures. We find it in the word of God. But here's the amazing thing. This is our authority of, right, the truth of Jesus so we can know the way. But it's amazing how this many times, this truth, and I'm talking about evangelical churches, has many times um, uh, undermined it. And it's undermined by the statement that is as old as the word of God. And think about it, because it was right in the garden where the serpent came to Eve and said this, has God really said? When you look at those early chapters of Genesis, did God really say that he made everything in six days? You know, did he really say that? Did God really condemn same-sex marriage. Was that just a cultural thing that went on? Did God really say? Did he really mean that marriage was for life? Does God really mean that? And there's a whittling away. And in the end, we'll talk about this. In the end, there's a whittling away of the exclusive gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime we say that, anytime we fight against the authority of the word of God. You know, there's others that happen to begin in there that will look at many times at the absolutes that happen to begin in the word of God and basically say this. Well, truth changes over time. You know, and you have to realize, even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that sometimes... Truth differs in different different situations. Have you have you ever? I mean, people think that they're so uh, uh, they they're so insightful by that statement, right? What happens to be true in this situation might not be true in this situation. Well, whatever happens to be right for you to do in that situation might not be true in the, right in that situation. And we think we're so insightful. We think that this is some new philosophy. Remember what Pilate said to Jesus. Remember what he said. What is truth? Right? Truth fluctuates. 
And it's amazing because any time we try to undermine the truth, the truth of the word of God, ultimately, it comes back to this. Ultimately, it comes back to trying to undermine the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so Jesus right here makes a a truth claim. He's not only the way, but he's the truth. And, And think of it, because these are not just, you know, he's not just saying words and things like that, but they all belong together, right? He says, I'm the way, right? Otherwise, you have to trust in me. But you have to trust in who I am. Well, how do we know who Jesus is? And this is how we know who Jesus is. Because he's the truth. There is truth about Jesus, isn't there? You know, it's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus, but I need to know the truth of Jesus. And there's a truth given of Jesus. Think about it. How much can you know about Jesus Christ looking at the creation that happens begin around us? How much? How much can you know about the, the God-man who came in human flesh by looking at the world that would be around us? Looking at the stars. Looking again at the created world in all of its splendor. We can certainly learn things about the power, about the majesty, about the wisdom of God. But how much can you know about the man who came and lived a perfect life and died that substitutionary death and rose from, from the grave conquering the penalty? And the answer is this. Absolutely none. And what do I need? What do I need in order to trust the way? I need to know the truth. Right? And here's the amazing thing. Even in my sinfulness, even if somebody preaches the truth to me, you know, many times I will not see the, I will not, in fact, in my natural self, I'll never see the significance. Doesn't mean I don't understand, but I'll never see and accept the significance of that message. Until even the Holy Spirit illumines my heart, opens it up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 18 says, They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. You know, and they had, and what did we have outside of the Lord Jesus Christ? We had darkened understanding. We couldn't see, we couldn't see the significance of salvation in Jesus Christ. And remember what he's saying right right here, because he's talking about eternal manners. He's talking about coming into his presence. And he does not say this, I am a truth. But again, he says, I am, here it is, the truth. The only truth of how you can know the way. Now, some people will say, well, what about the Old Testament? What about that? And the Old Testament, again, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the greatest revelation, the greatest revelation ever given to mankind is found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's the fullest expression, again, of who God is. He's the fullest expression of even how to come in his presence. Hebrews 1, uh, uh, verses 1 to 3 said, Long ago and in many times and many ways God spoke to his fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also he created the worlds. He is a radiance of God. In other words, that, that uh, effulgence, you know, those rays, those beams that would come from the, uh, the sun. This is who Jesus is. He's a radiance of the glory of God. And he's also this, the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know who God is? You want to see who he is? It's found in Christ. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification. This is what he did for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
of high. So if I'm going to know Christ, I'm going to know him. Now think about it. So we say that this book is a, a, our authority. It's authoritative, right? It's all that we need for life and godliness. So think about it. When somebody fights about the opening chapters of the book of, of, uh, of the Bible, what are they really fighting about? What are they, why do they really want to undermine the opening chapters of the Bible? And the reason why is because it is an attack on the exclusivity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's wrong here, what about here? If it's an error here, what about here? An attack on the miracles that were done by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, any of the miracles that happen to begin in the Bible is an attack on the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. And you could go on. You could, you could uh, talk about gender confusion and say, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what scriptures are wrong, this is just something that's cultural, just something that exists in our time, we're more enlightened today. It is an attack on the exclusivity of the word of God. Anytime the church capitulates to the unbelieving world, on the truth, in the name, again, of just being wanting to be well thought of, or just not offending anyone, is really an attack on Jesus Christ, who is the truth. This is his truth. And I think when we read these words, when Jesus says, I am in the way and I am in the truth, it's really a challenge for us as believers Because I know, again, a lot of times we say, yeah, it's the word of God, it's the word of God, it's the word of God. But it's amazing when we look at modern-day Christianity how there's a huge leap in mysticism today. And the idea is that I want God to speak to me. And it might not be through a voice, it might be through urges. And what people are trusting in many times are urges, are their feelings, are everything else like that. In fact, there's a theology that happens to be again out there that says the mind is really the enemy of Christianity. And yet, when it comes to the word of God, what does it say? You know, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Right? The mind is active. And you can see that, again, in the greatest commandment that was ever given in Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 37. It says, You shall love the Lord God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and here it is, and with all of your mind. And when you look at heart, soul, and mind, they're not three different distinct parts. You know, here I have my heart, here my soul, here I have my mind. It's not three different distinct parts, but the totality of my inner being. So when I love Christ, here it is, I have this knowledge of Christ, of who he is, what he has done for me, and it causes my emotions, again, to love him, to cherish him, to follow him, to obey him. And the mind is active in all these things. You know, and I wonder, how much do we know about Jesus Christ? How much do we know about the author and finisher of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? How much are we feeding our souls to be overwhelmed with gratitude of what he has done for sinners like us? 
Because the truth is, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we defend the Bible. We say rather joyously, it's everything that we need for life and godliness. The scriptures are authoritative and sufficient in our life. And we say that unapologetically and enthusiastically, that our hope is found in this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people of the Bible. We are Jesus' people, people of the truth. But if that is true, we sang a song tonight, Bow the Knee. How often are we truly bowing the knee to Jesus Christ? How often are we truly learning who he is and reveling in this one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we can have assurance of our salvation. And, Lord, an assurance that brings such a zeal for Jesus Christ, for everything he's done. Lord, that when Thomas asked this question, how do we find you? How do we get there? How do we come into your presence again? That Jesus didn't give him a long list of do's and don'ts, but he said these words, I am, I am the way, the exclusive way. And he is the truth, Lord. He has given us everything that we need to know about him, Lord, that we might trust him, that we might have this full and free salvation. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, so often, Lord, we get so timid, we get so worried, we get so anxious, we get so overcome by this life. God, so often we have anxious hearts and complaining hearts, but when we see who Christ is, when we see what he has promised, when we see that everything of eternal value is in his hands and cannot be taken away, God, it creates such a confidence in him. Just be with us. Help us to think on these truths. Help us to dwell on these truths. Help us to glorify you. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen.